Let's Tuned to Yesterday, broadcasting programs from radio's past. Mark Lavonier, your host for An Hour of Crime. Later on, a story from Counterspy from 1949, but first, movie actor Dana Andrews stars in I Was a Communist for the FBI. The syndicated episode from June 1st, 1952, called A Riot Made to Order. I Was a Communist for the FBI. <laughs> Starring Dana Andrews in an exciting tale of danger and espionage, I was a communist for the FBI. You're about to hear a strange story. Names, dates, and places are, for obvious reasons, fictional. But many of these incidents are based on the actual experiences of Matt Savetic, who for nine fantastic years lived as a communist for the FBI. Here is our star, Dana Andrews, as Matt Savetic. I've heard people call them crackpots, harmless crackpots. They were speaking of the members of the Communist Party in this country. I was one of those communists for nine years. I reported that conspiracy against the United States from within. Crackpots? Like spiders spinning webs. Harmless? Like tigers stalking their prey. Here's this part of the story. In a moment, listen to Dana Andrews as Matt Savetic, Undercover Man. as Matt Savetic, Undercover Man. This story from his confidential file is marked A Riot Made to Order. Hello? Matt Savetic. Speaking. Anton Drexel. Yes? You sound surprised. You were told that I would contact you. Well, that's right. It's just that here at work at this time of day, I... I'm at the Regent Hotel, room 406. I have matters to discuss with him. When? Right now. That's how you receive your orders in a communist party. Anytime, anywhere. And you obeyed to the letter right now. I got up from my desk, and there were a dozen pair of eyes watching me. Communist eyes. Some I had put in this department of the United States Employment Service myself. But I knew there were others watching, reporting. Had I shown any aggravation, any irritation, Drexel would have known about it immediately. I walked out with a smile, the perfect, obedient slave on the way to his master. Anton Drexel, small but muscular, intelligent, dark-featured. He had come from New York, a high-party functionary. He didn't bother shaking hands. He came right to the point. Comrade Zavetic, Comrade Drexel, you are satisfied that I am Drexel? I'm satisfied. You've never seen me before. You are too easily satisfied. Comrade Adams told me you would contact me. You did. That's good enough for me. The party isn't in the habit of making mistakes like that. Neither is the FBI. What do you want me to do, comrade? Throw you on the floor? Search you? Check your fingerprints? Wait for word from Moscow? What do you want? You have a temper, comrade, for that. I don't like talk about the FBI. You agree that we must be as careful as they are? Any party member knows that. What mistake did I make? You made none. I didn't accuse you of them. All right. I was wrong. Sit down, Comrade Savetti. Thanks. What I have to say is of the greatest importance. Go ahead. Our leaders feel it's time for us to have publicity. 
sympathetic publicity in the capitalistic newspapers of this country. Is that clear? Yes, comrade. A large meeting of the party members will be held in Liberty Hall two nights from now. It will be attended by the rank and file. Comrade Adams has the responsibility of filling the hall. I see. At a signal, the meeting will be raided by the pickets outside. There will be a riot. Comrade Grotsinov and a sound truck will set off the riot. A question, comrade. Yes. We've had many such meetings before, and none was ever picketed. Where will they come from this time? The Cargus Manufacturing Company nearby. Our comrades in the plant have done their work well. They cry, stop the commie rats before they take over the country. Those stupid workers are filled with patriotism. They'll turn out with a hundred. The riot cannot fail. And after the riot, we blame the fascist police, the citizen Gestapo who interfered with our rights of free speech and free assembly. Exactly. Our comrades become martyrs. Others will rally to our cause and sympathy. Why do you tell me this, comrade? Everything is arranged. There's nothing for me. Oh, on the contrary. Everything depends upon you. You are responsible for the boys of the control commission, comrade Zettich. They will mingle with the pickets and fighting them. At the signal, they will lead them into the hall. This riot cannot fail. But our own comrades in the hall, unarmed, they might be killed. Should anything so unfortunate occur, it will be to their glory to die serving the party. You are under orders, Comrade Savetic. I shall execute my orders, Comrade Drexel. Anything more? You'll have help in your assignment. Comrade Franz will assist you. I don't need any help for this. I've done it before by myself, and besides, I don't Do want... you object, Comrade? I'm sorry, Comrade. The party knows best. Will that be all? I shall be at that meeting. Good day, Comrade Savetic. <laughs> That was all. Just arranged for several hundred human beings to have their skulls cracked, their teeth knocked out. It was like sending invitations for a banquet, a banquet of death. I walked down the hotel corridor from Drexel's room to the elevator. I had to get to a phone, call my FBI contact. Hello, Comrade Svetti. Remember me? He seemed to come out of the woodwork like a termite. Otto Franz, my assistant. Had I protested too much at the meeting with Petro? Then it hit me. Otto Franz had been arranged for before the meeting. Why? I didn't need any help on this job, and they knew it. But what else did they know? And what was Otto Franz? A tail or a hatchet man? Hello, Otto. Comrade Otto to you, Petro. Where did you come from, comrade? It doesn't matter. Let's go to work, huh? Sure. What do we do first? That's up to you. I just go along and do whatever you say. I'm going out to see my mother. You can see her tonight when you go home. Look, comrade. You can follow me wherever I go. Those are your orders. But you're not telling me where I can go. Those are my orders. <laughs> Party liner, faithful hound. The crack of the whip was all he understood. Nothing would pry him from my side. He had his orders, and so had I. We took a cab, and I gave the driver an address. Did you move to a new place, comrade? I'm going to see my doctor first. Something wrong? Uh, my stomach's been upset lately. Maybe you're nervous. Maybe. I got some powder I take from my stomach. Got them right with me. How about some? I'm paying the doctor. I'll do what he says. Just wanted to save you some money. That's all. Thanks. He stayed with me like a headache, right into the doctor's waiting room. When the doctor was ready to see me, I knew he wanted to follow, but he didn't quite have the nerve. I told Doc I wanted to find out how my mother was, and he told me in two words. Not good. I asked if I could use his phone. He nodded and went into his laboratory. So far, I was getting all the breaks. Miller speaking. Randy Fletcher. Go ahead, Matt. 
They're staging a riot at Liberty Hall day after tomorrow. Several hundred party followers in the hall, and that many pickets or more outside. On signal, the pickets raid the meeting. Go ahead, Matt. Go ahead? It's up to you fellows now. You've got to stop this thing. We can't move in on anything like this, Matt. I'm afraid you'll have to carry the ball on this one. Look, I've got a tail on me right now. Everything's been set. What do you expect me to do? I'm sorry, Matt. Yeah, but this yeah, is you. Yeah, I know. It's my baby. From the doctor's office, we went to my home. My mother's condition had me worried. Her heart had been weak for a long time. There was always the chance that she might die, still believing that I was a real communist. If my brother Tip was home, there would be real trouble, especially when he saw Otto. He hated me, but he hated my commie friends even worse. Tip wasn't there. I almost felt good. The little breaks were coming my way, but I needed a big one. Real big. Otto showed a rare streak of decency. Your mother upstairs, comrade? In bed. I'll wait here in the parlor. You go up and see her. But don't take too long. We got work to do, remember? I remember, comrade. What I hear about you? Oh, with me is nothing. Just a little tired. you the one I worry about, Matt. There's nothing to worry about. I'm doing fine. <laughs> Just look at me. Oh, you are in trouble, Matt. The government, Matt. Those men from Washington. The FBI. Yes. They are after you, I know. Oh, Mom, you're all wrong. Won't you listen to me? All the time I pray for you, my boy, that God should make you give up what you are doing against the government of America. But, Mom, can't you see... Promise I... me, Matt. So little I ever asked from you. I, I can't, Mom. <laughs> but are you all right? It don't matter no more. How can I be all right? When against the United States, one of my boys is working. Look, Mom, I, I got to run along now. Next time, I want to see you up and around and baking a cake, you hear? Still, I pray for you, Matt, that God should take care of you. You are still my boy. And the mother can't forget. <laughs> Dana Andrews, starring as Matt Severick in I Was a Communist for the FBI, and the second act of our story. Otto stayed with me the next two days. He never let me out of his sight. We took a hotel room because I told him my mother was too ill and I didn't want to bother her at home. Why was I given this insignificant job and a guard? Did they suspect I might sabotage their riot if I had a chance? In two days, I hadn't been able to think of a single plan. And then the phone rang. That's the phone, comrade. It's for you. You amaze me, comrade Franz. You must be psychic. Answer it. Yes? Comrade Sovetic. Speaking, comrade Drexel. The meeting is tonight. I know. You have done your work? There was nothing to be done until this afternoon. You will see to it? Certainly. Let me talk to Comrade Franz. One moment. He wants to talk to you, Comrade. Hello? Yes. Yes. No, nothing like that. Yes. 
Drexel knew where to call. I hadn't told him, and Otto was with me every moment. Were they watching both of us? Or had Otto somehow given me the slip? I shuddered. One mistake was all you ever made in a spot like this. Your first and last. He was watching me, still talking at the phone. Yes, Comrade. Right. He sat there, staring at me, his face a complete blank. Other comrades had been pushed from hotel windows. The papers called it suicide, and the public believed the papers. I started toward the door. It's time to round up the boys for tonight, comrade. Comrade Drexel seemed a little worried that I'd not done it before this. I know. Well, uh, are you coming, or do you stay here? I got my orders, comrade. I go with you. The goon squad I picked for this job was just like all the others, maybe a little more so. Muscle men, powerful guys, and deadly. We met them in the back room of a cheap restaurant. Two dozen of them, maybe a few more. Okay, comrades, let's have it quiet. You'll gather tonight at 8 o'clock in the street in front of Liberty Hall. Pickets from the Cargus Company will be on hand before you get there. Wear your regular street clothes so as to look just like the other pickets. Mix with them, but stay away from each other. And get this, no guns. I'm going to say that again. No guns. You can use brass knucks, lead pipe in a newspaper, or sap. You've got plenty to work with, but no guns. A comrade in a sound truck will be yelling for a peaceful picketing with no violence. It's your job to make the pickets forget him and raid the meeting and start the riot. Okay, that's all. Nice work, comrade. Thanks. Comrade Drexel will be pleased. Everything that night went according to schedule. It always does when the commies are behind it. They're thorough. They don't miss a trick. The plans are laid days ahead. You hope for a slip-up, but you never get your wish. When we got to Liberty Hall, the street out front was alive with pickets. They were angry, but not looking for trouble yet. Everything goes well, Comrade Patrick. Yeah, everything's great. There are plenty here to cause serious trouble. That was the idea, wasn't it? Of course. You should be happy, Comrade. I'm happy. Remember, boys, this is a peaceful picketing. We want law and order. Let's have no violence. This is a protest against those commies inside. This is the United States, where we do everything by south. Keep it peaceful, boys. Keep walking around. Let's make it legal. Comrade Gatsinov is doing his work well. Yeah. Have you seen any of our goons caught around? Several. There's one. Talking to that picket. Yeah, I see him. Well, there's another one buttonholing a couple of guys. They're here and they're working. It is good, Comrade Static. Yeah. Let's go in the hall. Why? There's nothing more to do here. Just a question of time. Maybe we can help in there. As you say, Comrade. Inside the hall, everything was proceeding according to schedule. There wasn't an empty chair in the place. It was like a sheep pen with Comrade Adams, the ringleader, on the stage leading them to slaughter. And there you have an example, Comrade, of this freedom America boasts. Right outside these doors, above a picket, the fascist police of the United States are protesting our right of free assembly. <laughs> The party line, the same old hogwash. And they believed every word of it. Then I heard the crowd outside getting nastier. It was almost time for my goons to lead them in. I began to sweat. There must be something I could do. There must. And then a wild idea hit me. I turned to Otto. Comrade France, lock the front door. Are you crazy? Do what I say. But why? If a mob walks in through an open door, they're liable to start talking things over. Make them break down a door and there's no talk, just violence. 
That's a smart idea, comrade. I'll do it. Locking the doors was just a stall for time. I wanted to get at the automatic sprinkling system backstage. I got there just in time to meet Drexel and Adams and the rest of the big shots on their way out the back door. They weren't risking their skins. Congratulations, Comrade Poetic. You've done your work well. You'll meet in my hotel room as soon as this is over. Comrade Adams and I go. Come along, Sovetic. We've set the fuse now. Let her blow. I'll wait for Comrade France. He's out front. Good. Make it soon. I was standing right next to a wall ladder. It led up into the rafters, and from there, I could reach one of the valves of the sprinkling system and melt off the protective wax cap. I started up the ladder, and I saw Otto coming back. I jumped down. He hadn't seen me. Your idea works, comrade. Listen to them. They're like wild beasts outside. Good work, comrade. When those doors break, hundreds will be hurt. turned and looked out at the hall. I gave him the heel of my hand at the base of his neck. He went down in a heap and stayed there. I shinned up the ladder and held my lighter under the valve. No one saw me. The commies inside were panicked. They didn't know what to do next. The pickets were stopped at the door, but it wouldn't be for long. I heard the door go. I heard the pickets crash through. I had to stop this somehow. Lives depended on it. I broke out into a sweat. Would that valve never melt? I held the flame closer. And then the valve melted. The water rushed through the pipes and it rained all over the hall. A hard, cooling, steady rain that could put out fires. A rain that could put out a riot. I came down the ladder. Otto was still on the floor. The commies had found the back exit. They were pouring out like drowned rats. The pickets were backing out the front door. They didn't want any part of that flood. The riot had come a cropper. Comrade Drexel was waiting for me in his hotel room, but I had to make one stop before that, a crummy little gem on Denton Street. I knew the owner, Mac, a hulking, punch-drunk ex-pug. He knew me slightly. He never asked questions. When you can't think anymore, there's nothing to ask about. Listen, Mac, I haven't got time to argue. It's a matter of life and death. I want you to go over my face, and go over it good. With gloves, huh? No gloves. Bare fists. I got to look like I was really beat up. Blood, too? Yeah. Everything I'd get if four or five guys jumped me. <laughs> I might hurt you. I told you this is a matter of life or death. Now, go ahead. Well, okay. Just as a favor. No hard feelings. No hard feelings. <clears throat> oh. When Mac began to blur, I knew I had enough. He helped me to the door, and I staggered into the night. Come in. There he is. He struck me and turned on the door. Silence. What? What happened, Thomas? Well, they, they slugged France first, and they jumped me. I fought him until I passed out. Who were they? Five of them. I never saw them before. Pickett? Maybe. None of ours, though. They turn on the water? I don't know. I guess so. It was out cold. I tell you, the only guy around me when I got slugged was static. He turned on the water. And then beat myself to a pulp? Is that it, comrade? Unfortunately, comrade static, suspicion points to you. Okay. Okay, so I slugged Otto. I turned on the water, then I beat myself unconscious. That's the way you want it. That's the way it is. You're acting as a control commission. Okay. I confess everything. Let's get this over with. I've remarked before, Sovetic, your violent temper. Why not? I've done everything I could to make this job a success. And then I'm questioned like a dirty, double-crossing traitor. In the name of the party. What more do you want from me? Take it easy, Sovetic. Sure. Sure, I'll take it easy. You need a doctor's care, Comrade Sovetic. I suggest that you go immediately. The story seems true. Your face is proof of that. But we shall investigate further. Is that all, Comrade? That is all. For now. (laughs) 
I left the hotel, and I felt good inside in spite of the pain. I had stopped the riot. They'd investigate further, but they wouldn't find anything. I was sure of that. I'd covered everything, and for a while, I was safe. I was safe to continue the double life, safe to tread the dim line between darkness and light, safe to walk alone. This is Dana Andrews. These stories, many of them based upon actual events and happenings in the real-life experiences of Matt Savetic, are brought to you in order that you may be aware of the insidious working from within of the Communist Party. Our greatest danger lies in being unaware. Our greatest safety in a knowledge of what we are fighting against. For this reason, I urge you to listen again next week when we will dramatize another exciting adventure from the official records of Matt Savetic. Join us then, won't you? I was a communist for the FBI. On Tuned to Yesterday, a syndicated recording from June 1st, 1952. You're listening to an hour of Golden Age of Radio Crime. On Tuned to Yesterday, I'm your host, Mark Livonier. And now, crime, intrigue, mystery, suspense, and much more in an episode of Counterspy. The series was produced by Phillips H. Lord, who brought some of the most famous crime shows to radio, including Gangbusters and Mr. District Attorney, both having lengthy runs on radio. The Counterspy show itself was heard on various networks from 1942 through 1957. This episode next, called The Case of the Sweepstake Murder, heard on ABC on October 4, 1949. Counterspy! Harding, counter-spy, calling Washington. United States counter-spies, especially appointed to investigate and combat the enemies of our country, both at home and abroad. Tonight, the case of the Sweet State Murders, another counter-spy report to the American people. It was a moonless night in the small southern town of Gulfport, near the Mexican border. In a dimly lit, evil-smelling corridor of a rooming house, two shadowy men stood before a closed door. Tom, you sure this is the room? Positive, Sheriff. Let's go in. Wait, wait, Tom. Get away from the door. But Get back alongside it. That's it. Let's see if it's unlocked. Yeah, it is unlocked. No light in the room. Now, listen. I'm going to shove the door open, shine my light in. You stay right where you are till I tell you. Okay, Sheriff. What the... Come on, Tom. What is it? Look. There on the floor. What? It's Frenchy. What's left of him? His chest. Look at his chest. What? I don't know what did it. I never seen anything like this. It's obvious, Uncle Cy. The big shots in the sweepstakes racket found out Frenchie was going to talk to a newspaper reporter. Me. So they killed him. I never saw anything so... So horrible. It's an outrage, Tom. But if they think they've stopped me, they got another thing coming. I found something in Frenchie's room tonight which just might lead me to the men we want. Uh-huh. What did you find? I'll tell you all about it when I bring in the story. I've got to be on my way. Yeah, no, no, Tom. One man's been murdered already. 
I don't want anything to happen to you. Oh, now, look, Uncle Si, this is a terrific story. Thousands and thousands of Americans are buying tickets on what's supposed to be an official Mexican sweepstakes. But the Mexican government says it doesn't know anything about yes, it. Yes, 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 I and know. And tonight, the racketeers proved they're murderers, too. Is the Gulfport Gazette going to laugh that off? That's not the point, Tom. I can't let my own nephew risk his life. Your nephew has to take the same chance as any other reporter would take. Mm-hmm. See you later, Uncle Si. Hello? Is Tom Fisher there? No, he's not, but this is his wife, Ruth. Can I take a message? Yeah. Tell him to lay off the big story he's working on. Unless he wants the same thing to happen to him that happened to Frenchie. Tom, that man on the phone frightened me. Darling, please drop the story you're working on. Drop the biggest story that ever came my way? Don't be silly, Ruth. But I don't want anything to happen to you. Nothing's going to happen to me. Now, where... Oh, here it is. What's that? Oh, something I picked up in Frenchie's room. Looks like a poker chip. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I've got to get moving. Where are you going? No, no, no. You're forgetting the rules. When Papa goes out on a big story, Mama doesn't ask questions. Tom, don't go. Hey, stop it now. Relax. I'll be back soon. Hey, you in the launch. You got room for one more? I'm going out to the gambling ship, too. Hiya, Toro. Yes, Monk. Big spending crowd aboard tonight, Toro. Here's the take from the wheel so far. How much, Monk? Twenty-one hundred bucks. And the launch is still bringing the suckers out here to this ship. Not bad, huh? Dos, tres. No, he's not bad. What are you counting for? Don't you trust me? Just as far as, uh, how do you say? I can see you. Oh, now, look, Toro. No, do I'm enjoy to count the money. Much money. Huh. You ought to be having the time of your life, then, the way that stuff is rolling in. The door, Monk. The back door. Okay. Tom Fisher, the reporter. What? That's right, Toro. Got him snooping around below decks. You know where. So, Senor Fisher. You uh, have found what you expected below, huh? Why, uh, I don't know what you mean. Uh, now... You're a poor liar, Senor. Nor are you wise. You should have heeded the advice conveyed to your wife. Then she uh, would not become a widow. What? Now, listen, Toro... No, Senor... That I was once a matador, a fighter of bulls. No, I... Uh... This case contains two of my favorite swords. This gold-hilted one was presented to me by enthusiastic aficionados in Mexico City after a corrida in which I dispatched six of the bravest and fiercest bulls ever seen in any arena. As you see, from the side, the blade appears to be a straight... But if you hold it this way, observe how the blade curves to penetrate to the bull's heart. And now, senor bull, I am sighting on your heart. but said had been warned 
that any squealer met horrible death by a golden sword. Statistical Department personnel. This is David Harding. Referring to counterfeit Mexican sweepstakes tickets. This case has some strange angles and is high on the counter-spy docket. We've had an official request for help from the Mexican government. Further, thousands of Americans are being swindled. Now, all murders of last three months are to be reclassified as to method of homicide. The counterfeit tickets themselves on hand here are to be given to my assistant, Harry Peters, for laboratory analysis. Here it is, Dave. The paper those phony sweepstake tickets were printed on is the 34-pound super newsprint stock. Oh. It was made by the Southwest Pulp and Paper Mill in Arango, Texas. Texas, huh? Did you get a list of their customers, Peters? We can't get that for a day or two. The mill had a fire last week. The records are in a mess. Oh, fine. They told me, though, a couple of hundred newspapers buy super newsprint for their rotogravure sections, this particular grade, in addition to printers all over the country. That's many, huh? I told you this would be tough. Well, maybe we can expedite matters. What did the lab say about the ink used on the phony tickets? Well, it's a standard black ink, Chief. Colored ink or some special variation of black might be traced. But standard black is practically impossible. Well, how about the printing press? It's a flatbed press. Printing in large sheets of paper, not from continuous rolls. Well, as soon as we get that list from the paper mail, I'll instruct our agents. Uh, yes, what is it, Miss Ferguson? This report just came in from Texas, Mr. Harding. I think you'll want to see it. Oh, thank you. Well, I like your new hairdo, Alan. Thank you, Mr. Peters. Only it's not new. Uh-oh. What is it, Dave? From this report, two nights ago, a man called Frenchy, a small-time grafter, was found murdered in a rooming house in Gulfport, Texas. He'd been killed by a long stiletto or sword that mutilated his chest and went completely through his body. Oh, say. Now, wait. Early the following morning, the body of a young newspaper reporter, Tom Fisher, was found in the Gulf, just off Gulfport. He'd been murdered in exactly the same way. Dave, that report from our Charleston office about the distributor who was peddling the phony sweepstake tickets. Didn't he say something about a sword? Right, Peters. He said that anyone in the racket who squealed died horribly by a golden sword. Wait a minute now. Take a look at this map here. Oh. What is? Here's Orengo, where you said that paper mill's located. Mm-hmm. And here's Gulfport. About 100 miles away. Peters, we've got to shortcut the job of tracing this paper. I want you to grab the first plane for Gulfport and go to work. husband tell you where he was going that night? The last time you saw him? I, I asked him, but he wouldn't tell me, Mr. Peters. I begged him not to go. Now try to pull yourself together. Come on now. I'm sorry. That's better. Now, Tom's editor, his uncle, said Tom didn't have any real clue to the men behind the phony sweepstakes racket. Did Tom tell you anything that he didn't tell his uncle? No. Tom said he just looked around the room of that poor man who'd been murdered. Frenchie, yes. Now, try to remember, Mrs. Fisher, this is very important. Tom may have said something which we might use as a clue, some some little thing. But he didn't. We had a rule. There was something. Yes? A, a poker chip, a golden poker chip. A poker chip? Only this one was gold, and it had the picture of a bull on it. Tom said he found it in Frenchy's room. Well, ordinary poker chips aren't usually gold. They're white, red, or blue. But they do have gold chips, the high-priced ones, in gambling houses. Are there any gambling houses in Gulfport, you know? Not in town, but there's a ship out in the Gulf, a converted yacht, where people go to dine and dance and gamble. El Toro, it's called. It's very popular. El Toro. Toro means bull in Spanish, and there was a picture of a bull on the chip your husband had. Mr. Peters, do you think that's where Tom went that night? It could be. That's where I'm going now. I'll go with you. No, no, Mrs. Fisher. 
This might be dangerous. I don't care. I want to find the man who killed my husband. Fisher, that's my job. You stay here and I'll keep in touch with you. I'll see you later. Good evening, Mr. Peters. Ruth Fisher, what are you doing here? I told you I want to find the man who killed my husband. And I told you to... Well, what's the use? You're here now. Have you found out anything? No, not yet. I've been circulating around in the crowd, but so... Say, there it is again. What? You hear that sound? Kind of dull hammering. It's coming from below decks. Yes, I hear it. It's probably the yacht's engine. But we're not moving. Ventilator pumps? No. Sounds more like... What? There's too much noise in here. Come out on deck where we can hear better. Hmm? Yes. Pardon? Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse I'm me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah. George, I think I know what that sound is. What? A printing press. A printing press out here on a boat? I'm sure it is. It seems to be coming from below decks. Come on, Mrs. Fisher. The stairs are over this way. Look out, Mr. Peters. There are two men behind you. What? Oh! That does it. Oh, you killed Mr. Peters. Miss Ferguson. Yes, Mr. Harding. Any word from Peters in Gulfport yet? I'm flying down to Gulfport. I was hoping you'd say that. Call the airport. Tell them to get a plane ready. Then call Merck Kennedy at the field office in Dallas. Tell him to meet me in Gulfport. I'm leaving at once. Wake up, Senor Peters. <clears throat> Wake up, I say. Stop uh, hitting him, you brute. You'll be silent, Senor Fisher. Or you get it, too. Senor Peters, wake up. It's morning. You've been asleep all night. Johnny sure gave him an awful crack on the noggin, Toro. Yeah, but he's not dead yet. So wake up, you pig. Double counter spy. What? what? He's coming, too. Well, take these ropes off my arms and up. You'll do nothing, senor, except what I tell you. Who are you? I? I am El Toro. El Toro? Oh. You run this gambling ship and the... See, si. See, si, the gambling ship and all else you came to find. Amigo, you wish both yourself and the charming Senora Fisher to uh, live, huh? Naturally. Well, then all you need to do is to send a telegram to your, uh, uh, how do you say, uh, chief. In Washington, the great David Hardy. You say to him, you uh, have investigated, and the headquarters of the sweepstake is not in Gulfport, as you think first. Put in the small town of Veranoche over in Mexico. And you say you go there now. Hey, that's good, Toro. And after I send this wire, taking the heat off you, Mrs. Fisher and I get bumped off, hmm? Oh, oh no, no, amigo. After a short while... You're made free. You think I'm dumb enough to believe that? I know you killed that poor bum Frenchie, and you killed Tom Fisher. <gasps> oh, you grieve me, amigo, to doubt my word. But you listen to me, then. You, I promise nothing. But send the telegram, and the senor will not be harmed. I promise. I wouldn't trust you as far as I could throw the animal you're named after. Very well, then, senor Peters. Here is my gold-hilted matador sword, with which I dispatched the treacherous Frenchy and the reporter. Now, you do as I say, or I kill Senor Fisher here right before your eyes. No! Well, what do you say, Senor? 
Okay, I'll send the wire. Ah, you're talking. Bueno, bueno. There's a telegraph pad here on my desk and pen and ink. All right. All right. Untie my hands. That is simple. With the sword. <clears throat> but try nothing rash, amigo. I know when I'm licked. Now, let's see. There's not much ink in this inkwell. Oh, there's enough for the purpose. Uh, enough to blind you for a moment. Oh, I, I am blind. No, you don't. You throw things in my eyes. Uh, you what? Uh, Ginger. Look out. That's the whole two monks. Conversation with Gulfport Sheriff, Mr. Harding. Two fellers killed, Frenchie and Tom Fisher. Two folks disappear, Peters and Mrs. Fisher. But the sheriff has plumb out ideas. Uh, we'll have to find Peters and Mrs. Fisher without him then, Kennedy. Did you see the newspaper editor? Cyrus Manning, yes. He's young Fisher's uncle, and he's afraid of something. And I have an idea, but I can't do anything about it until I hear. Maybe that's the call I want now. Harding speaking. Oh, yes, Mr. King. Have you got that shipping figure? Good, let's have it. Four, four, point, six, seven tons. Thanks very much. No, no, that's all I need right now. Thanks again. Goodbye. My hunch was right, Kennedy. Now, I've got a plan, but I'll need your help. Now, I'm going back to see Cyrus Manning, editor of the Gulf Port Gazette. And I want... You want your niece, Ruth Fisher, to be found, and you want the killers of your nephew brought to justice, isn't that right? Naturally, Mr. Harding. Well, then tell me who killed your nephew and who's responsible for your niece's disappearance. I don't know. You're afraid to talk. You're afraid you'll be killed, too, by the golden sword. That's not true. But, Mr. Manning, the men you're protecting can't afford to let you live. You know too much. Your only chance to save your life is to confide in me. Those fellows may be planning to murder you at this very moment. Look out, Mr. Manning. Get on the floor. Good heavens. Somebody shot at you from the window. Come back here. Too bad, Mr. Manning. He got away. Mr. Manning, you all right? Yes. Yes, I think so. Good heavens. I told you, you were in great danger. Use your head, man. Talk before it's too late. from the door, Toro, or I'll shoot again. I have counted your shots and your keys. You don't have no bullets left. Now, come on, amigos. We break down the door. Now, together. You're right, Mr. Peters. Are all the bullets really gone? Yes, Ruth. I tried to bluff him, and he called my bluff. Oh, dear. Mr. Peters, the door is cracking. I'm afraid it won't be long now. have come out here all day, Kennedy. All right, men, check your weapons. Prepare to board. Lieutenant, head us in. Cut your engines. Trap. Hit the deck, man! Return our fire! 
Hiding up forward. Peters must have winged him. Toro, meet Mr. Hardy. I, uh, I bow to a greater matador than myself. Uh, save that baloney for your trial, Toro. All right, Kennedy, handcuffs. And hold him aboard our cutter. Peters, you all right? Found us a dollar, Dave. Good. So these are the presses Toro used for printing the phony sweepstake tickets. Yes. Pretty clever setting them up down here in the hold, hmm? Well, he'll never print any more tickets, Peters. That ex-bullfighter is going to the electric chair. By the way, Dave, Kennedy told me about the trick you and he pulled on Manning, the newspaper editor. Firing blank shots near him to make him think Toro was after him, so he talked. Well, fortunately, it worked. How did you happen to suspect that smooth old mint julep was part of this gang? When the Southwest paper mill reported that the Gulfport Gazette bought super newsprint from them, I checked their shipping records against Manning's daily inventory. The inventory was short, which made me suspect that Manning was diverting paper to Toro for his sweepstake tickets. Well, it was all a well-concealed connection, Dave. Yes, Toro was very clever with his golden sword, but you'll find it won't cut the lock to the death house door. David Harding, a special word to employers. Give work to our handicapped veterans. Next time a job opens, write to Captain Maurice Witherspoon, Masonic Veterans Committee, 71 West 23rd Street, New York City. Give our fighting men a fighting chance for rehabilitation. Tune in every Tuesday and Thursday, same time, same station to Counterspy. Counterspy, on Tuned to Yesterday, an ABC episode from the 4th of October, 1949. And that wraps up this hour of crime on Tuned to Yesterday. Be sure to be with us next time for more great programs from radio's golden years. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark Levonier. It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm.